soon, I hope. Let us pray. God, take our ears and hear through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. I read a story about Albert Einstein uh, recently. Um, might be an apocryphal story, but I'm pretty sure it's true still. Um, Albert Einstein once said that uh, if he were given an hour to solve a problem, and his life depended on solving that problem, that he would take the first 55 minutes to figure out the right question to ask. Because if he asked the right question, he was pretty sure that last five minutes would be more than enough to come up with the right answer. Asking the right question is the key to getting the right answer. So in the story we heard earlier, very familiar story from Luke chapter 10, a man, a lawyer comes to Jesus and he asks a lot of questions and they're good questions, but they're not the right questions because the man isn't really actually looking for the right answer. We're at the start of Lent. It's a season in which we are asked to be open, to be honest, to be truthful, to be blunt about our lives, about our life together. Are we looking for the right answers? Lent is a season for seeking deeper faith, for seeking renewed hope, for seeking an expanded capacity for loving kindness. It's a season for seeking lives that are fuller and truer, that are more meaningful and authentic and compassionate and just. And this is the right story to help us ask the right question. It begins just then a lawyer stood up and began to ask questions. And right from the start, Luke tells us that his motives are suspect. Luke tells us that he stood up to test Jesus. And later he told us that the man wanting to justify himself asks another question. So Luke gives us a pretty clear indication that he's not really looking for the right answer. And that explains why his questions are problematic. He asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? And in the Greek grammar of that question, it's clear that this guy is treating this as a one-off. He's looking for the one thing that he needs to do, the one thing that he needs to check off his list. Do I need to say a prayer? Do I need to make a sacrifice? What if I bring a pretty good bag of groceries, peanut butter, boxes of mac and cheese for the food drive? What if I make a decent offering at the holidays? What must I do? And what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's pretty clear that he's sort of bargaining for a commodity to be acquired. He's looking for a shortcut. He's trying to game the system. He's not especially interested in a life that's right or righteous, a life that's true or generous or merciful. He's trying to get something, that thing out there called eternal life that he can have in his back pocket for later when he needs it. Well, Jesus, in good rabbinic fashion, asks a question in response to his question, turns it back on him, he asks, well, what's written in the law? What do you read there? And the lawyer, he's well-read, he knows the answer. He quotes Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and soul. And he adds on to it a quote from Leviticus 19, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's the right answer. Jesus says to him, do it, and you will live. 
The lawyer was looking for something to acquire, a commodity, eternal life, have it for when the time comes. Jesus is talking about a way of living, a way of life, a way of life together right here and right now. So the lawyer gives the right answer, but it's a hard answer. So wanting to justify himself, he asks his next question. Wanting to make himself look right, he asks his next question. And who is my neighbor? Now again, it's a good question. It's a fair question. For, for the Jewish listeners there with Jesus, they would have understood neighbor to mean fellow Jews, of course. But the Torah pushes uh, the boundaries out farther. They were to love not just the people in our own group. It was clear in the Torah in Leviticus 19 that they bore responsibility for, quote, aliens residing with you in your land. But, I mean, how far out does that boundary get pushed? In the Gospels, in Luke chapter 6, I think it is, Jesus pushes it out all the way. He says, you're to love even your enemies. Really? Who, who is my neighbor? What's the boundary here? Because asking who is my neighbor is also another way of asking who is not my neighbor, right? Who am I not responsible for? Where do my obligations end? This lawyer is looking to limit his liability. It's a good question, but it's not the right question. This is not really looking for the right answer. Well, in response, Jesus tells this famous story, a story that many of us have known and heard many times, I'm sure. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and it is down. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho drops uh, 3,300 feet over about 18 miles. It was known to be dangerous, and so this man is robbed. He's beaten. He's left in a ditch half dead. And the religious leaders there, the priest and the Levite, they happen by. They know what they're supposed to do. Uh, they just don't do it. And then Jesus says a Samaritan came down the road. For his listeners, this would have been an unexpected and a very unwelcome detail. Now, if you've gone to church much, if you've heard this story before, you might know that there's pretty uh, deep historic enmity between Jews and Samaritans. Um, you know, for Jewish listeners, hearing Jesus talk about a Samaritan as they hear the story, it would be like if, if a bunch of liberals were listening to Jesus and the hero of this story is a proud boy wearing a red mag. Or it might be like if a bunch of conservatives were listening to the story and the hero is a member of Antifa wearing a black mask to cover their face. That makes this story a lot more uncomfortable, doesn't it? But it's the Samaritan who's moved with compassion. It's the Samaritan who helps the one who's in need. He acts with mercy. He acts with mercy. Um, at great risk to himself and at great cost to himself. And then at the end of the story, Jesus asks a different question. The lawyer asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus asks, who was a neighbor? Not about who they are, but about who we are. Who was a neighbor? Not even so much about what we do, but about who we are. Who was a neighbor? That's the right question. And our lives depend on getting the right answer. Are we good neighbors? Sometimes to get the right answer, we have to ask the question behind the question. 
There's a, there's a story that comes to us from Jewish folklore. It's said in medieval Germany. It's a story about a man, a rabbi, and his daughter, a young girl. She is a, a curious young girl. She is bright. She is uh, diligent. She's already learned to read Hebrew and Aramaic. She already knows the prayers for the services. She can already recite large parts of the Torah. But she wants to learn how to study the Talmud like her father. Talmud was a, and is a collection of uh, sayings of rabbis, ancient rabbis, wisdom sayings, that serves as a kind of guide for daily life for Jewish people. It's, a, it's an interpretation of the mitzvah, of the commands, to know what they mean from, for daily life. But it's also complex. It's difficult. It's challenging. And she wanted to learn to study Talmud like her father. So she kept bugging her father to teach her, and he kept kind of deferring, kept kind of demurring, but she was pretty insistent. And finally he said, to study Talmud, you have to not only read and memorize, you have to think. She said, well, I want to learn, Papa. And so he finally agreed and he said, okay, I will give you your first lesson. Now listen carefully. Two men were working on the roof of a house and both of them fell through the chimney down to the ground. When they landed, one of them had a dirty face, and one of them had a clean face. Which one went to wash his face? And the girl said, began to say immediately, well, the one with the dirty face, because when we have a dirty face, we go, and then she cut herself. And she thought, no, that's not the right answer. The right answer is the one with the clean face, because he looked at the one with the dirty face, assumed he had a dirty face, whereas the one with the clean face looked at the man with the dirty face, assumed he had a, a when the one with the dirty face looked at the man with the clean face and assumed that he had a clean face. So the answer is that it's the one with the clean face who went to wash himself. And his, her father uh, smiled and he said, that's good thinking. But to study Talmud, you have to think harder. And her face fell a little. And he said, because if two men fell down a chimney, how is it that only one of them has a dirty face? And then her face fell even farther. And he said to his daughter, you did well, but you always have to look for the question behind the question. That's how we study Talmud. You have to look for the question behind the question. So in the story we've heard from Luke chapter 10, the lawyer asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He asks, who is my neighbor? But why did he ask those questions? That's the question behind the question. That's how we study the scriptures. And Luke helps us out. Luke, Luke tells us his motives, right? I mean, he's trying to test Jesus. He's trying to justify himself. To answer the question, are we good neighbors? We have to ask the question behind the question. And that is, what are our motives? What are our motives when we see a neighbor? And when we see a neighbor in need. As, uh, as Kim said at the start, the clergy in this story pass by. Well, I'm clergy. I'm one of those religious professionals like the priest and the Levite in the story. And I get asked for help all the time. In fact, on Wednesday, I was working here at the church on Wednesday because we didn't have power. We didn't have internet at our house earlier this week. I was sitting at my desk. I was, I was reading this very story and a man came to the door needing help. I was pretty busy that day. I 
I'd already lost time when our power went out. I'd already lost time out shoveling snow in my yard. I was pretty busy. I was also pretty impatient because it was Ash Wednesday. I still had work to do to get ready for the service later that evening. And I have to admit, I'm always, when someone comes to the church door, I'm always instinctively skeptical. And I think the best version of that skepticism is that I want to be careful with the church's money, you know? I don't want to, I don't want to be foolish what, with what you've entrusted to us. But even that response is, is, is grounded in a fear of scarcity, not in uh, faith in God's abundance. I think the truer version of my skepticism is that I just don't like to be taken advantage of. I don't like to be played for the fool. And so I want to be really careful about it. Um, it's also true when people come, I just, feel, I just feel helpless. I often have no idea what the right thing to do. I don't know what to do. And even when it's clear what to do, it's most often the case that I or we can only do uh, or help in a very small way. And so um, I've been sorting through my motives. And uh, if you think that this story doesn't haunt religious professionals, you are wrong. I think about this story all the time and I almost always come up lacking. In fact, it occurred to me after that incident at the door, I hate this story because I always look bad at the end of it. Um, and just to tie it off, the guy came to the door. He was looking for something that wasn't, it wasn't possible for me to do it. I, I just couldn't do what he was asking. And uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't get him off of that one specific thing that he wanted. And so uh, he left muttering and I left thinking, I hate this story. <laughs> but the question is, what are our motives when we see neighbors in need? Are we trying to justify ourselves? Are we trying to make ourselves look like we're in the right? Um, are we trying to earn cosmic favor? We're we trying to earn our way into God's good graces. Are we looking for one thing to do, one thing to, to check off our list, one thing to get this guy off the, out of the doorway? Um, do we get defensive? I mean, seriously, I couldn't do what he wanted me to do. What else was I supposed to I had no choice, I couldn't help him. Okay, I get a little defensive sometimes. Um, are we judgmental? Do we get cynical? Or are we trying, even haltingly, to live here and now in ways that are more compassionate and more kind? I mean, that's the question behind the question. What are our motives? At least that's one of the questions. In the parable, the priest and the Levite uh, famously, infamously passed by on the other side. They would have known what to do. Amy Jill Levine, who's a, who's a Jewish scholar who teaches New Testament, and I think it's Vanderbilt, uh, wrote a book about the parables of Jesus called Short Stories by Jesus. And in it, she makes the comment, the law required that both men attend to the fellow in the ditch, whether alive or dead. One is to love the neighbor and love the stranger both. Their responsibility was to save a life. They failed. Who is my neighbor? They knew the right answer. They still did the wrong thing. Why? Well, it's a parable, so obviously it's open to interpretation. But I like the answer, excuse me, the answer that Martin Luther King gave once in his sermon. He said, I'm gonna tell you what my imagination tells me. It's possible these men were afraid. So the first question that the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question. If I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? 
Now, to be clear, there were reasons for them to be afraid. This was a dangerous road. Someone had already been beaten. Someone had already been robbed. Someone had been left for dead. And there are reasons for us to be afraid. There are reasons for us to be cautious. There are reasons for us to set boundaries and to set limits. But if we want to answer the question about being good neighbors, uh, we have to ask the questions behind the question. And so one of those questions behind the question is, what fears are driving us? And often it's, it's a fear of scarcity. We're afraid there's not going to be enough. We're afraid I'm not going to have what I need when I need it. Won't be enough to go around. Sometimes it's the fear of the unknown, of the unknown other, fear of a Samaritan, the fear of someone we don't know in the ditch. In our culture, it's the fear of, of refugees. We hear, you know, diabolical stories of refugees down at the border and the kind of people they must certainly be. Or we hear uh, fears of Muslims, and we're told that they're, they're certainly going to try to uh, implement Sharia law in the United States. Fear of the unknown other. Sometimes it's just fear of failure. What fears are driving us? And where are those fears taking us? Are fears getting in the way of compassion? Are they getting in the way of hospitality? Getting in the way of a movement toward equity? And then what do we do with our fears? Fear asks if I stop, what will happen to me? Compassion, mercy asks if I don't stop, what will happen to them? So I wanna know how can we be people who reflexively ask what will happen to them? What will happen to the ones who need care and don't have access to it? What will happen to the people who live outside and don't have a safe place to call home? What will happen to the refugees at the border who are fleeing um, danger and, and destitution that most of us can't even imagine? How can we be those kind of neighbors? Neighbors who, who are moved by compassion, neighbors who act with mercy. Because fear is powerful. And if we're honest, our first, pull, our first impulse often will be to ask what will happen to me. Because when we're afraid, our focus tends to narrow down to ourselves. When we're afraid, it's hard for us to see anyone else. Fear is powerful, makes it hard to act with mercy, makes it hard to act with kindness, makes it hard to love when we are afraid. It's hard to act with mercy until we've received mercy. It's hard to, hard to act with kindness until we've experienced kindness. It's hard to love others until we know that we are loved. It's perfect love that casts out fear. You know, when we hear this parable, I think most of us want to imagine that we are the Samaritan. Most of us want to be the hero. I want to be the good guy in this story, right? And sometimes we are. I mean, I've seen tremendous, generous, uh, persistent acts of mercy from many of you, often in this congregation. In reality, we are more like the man left in the ditch alongside the road. Some of us have been beaten up. Some of you have been beaten up physically, emotionally, spiritually. And I'm so sorry. Some of us have felt like we are half dead. Some of us have wished we were dead. If that's you, if that's the case, please call someone. Please call for help. Call me, call Britt, call Kurt, call anyone. 
call for help. But even for those of us who live lives that are fairly stable, fairly easy, fairly safe, we live in a culture that beats people down. We're part of systems that hurt people. We're part of systems that rob people of dignity, of their sense of purpose in life, that rob people of hope. And so we are all like the man left for dead in the ditch. And Jesus is our good neighbor. Jesus is the one who comes to us, who sees us, who stops, who tends, who cares, who heals us. Jesus is the one who shows mercy, who stays with us, who never leaves us, who always loves us. Jesus is the one who at great cost to himself broke the cycle of violence. The one who shows us what the kind of life that we can live together. Jesus is our good neighbor. Let Jesus tend your wounds. Let Jesus love you. Let the mercy of Jesus wash over you. Wash over you and wash away your despair. Wash away your failings. Wash away your shame. Wash away your fear. Jesus has shown us mercy. Jesus has shown us what loving our neighbors with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength looks like. And in turn, he says, go and do likewise. And the story from Luke chapter 10, we don't know what the lawyer went and did. It's open-ended. It leaves it for us to ask, what are we going to do? And what questions do we need to ask ourselves? What questions do we need to ask as a community in order to be good neighbors? Because asking the right question is the key to getting the right answer. So may God grant us the wisdom and the courage that we're going to need.